your beauty for your goodness and your wisdom awesome God praise the Lord oh my soul praise the Lord praise the Lord oh my soul praise the Lord for your power for your
Verse 17. It's good to be here. Good to be back. We will work through this scripture together. Um, I will just read it. This is the word of the Lord beginning in verse 17. In your Bibles, it's on page 1158. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do and the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. Surely you have heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully, truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. And do not give a, the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must no longer steal, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit all who listen, those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, and get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander and every form of malice, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, it's just as Christ and God forgave you. Uh, let, let me pray once again. Jesus, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for, uh, for thousands of years, Lord, all over the globe, Lord, your inspired scriptures have been preached and taught on week after week after week. Lord, we're here to listen to the scriptures, not just to learn information for no, uh, just a store in our minds. Lord, we're here, we're summoned by you to, 
uh, to join in the Spirit in His grand and powerful work in transforming us to be in Your image. Lord, we pray that this morning You would break down walls of callousness, of hardness that may be inside of us as we walk through these Scriptures. Holy Spirit, we know You are here. And Lord, I pray that Your work will be made manifest amongst these people this morning. Transform us, Jesus. Give us ears to listen and give us hearts to receive what you have to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, this this title of this sermon series, uh, um, Reconciled in Christ, right? The idea of Jesus reconciling all things to himself. In the latter chapters, it gets pretty practical. We saw some of that last week. Right, so talked about the body of Christ and us being together in the body of Christ. There's a great sermon from uh, Joel. If you didn't listen to it, please check it out online. So this week he he gets into more, um, you know, what we may call it moral kind of things, right, or ethical kind of uh, commands. It kind of just like boom, 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 one after another. So to help kind of make sense of so many different things he 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 puts out here, I want to ask you to use your you know imagination a little bit. Uh, kind of you know, dream with me for a minute about some things. We'll first start in the negative. Okay, imagine with me for a minute um, a broken family. Okay, some of you don't have to imagine because that's your past, right? A real broken family. Some of us, all, none of our families are perfect, right? And so there's always some strand of brokenness within all of our families. But the family bond is, is, is close and it's important, right, in our lives. And so think about, you know, what that brokenness looks like um, whenever extended family gets involved too, right? And maybe over Thanksgiving dinner, you know, you know that one person's going to be angry and mean all the time, or that one person that you just you know, that you don't see that often, maybe that, you know, when they talk to you, you don't know how much you can actually trust if what they're saying is really representing anything of who they are. They just learn to kind of smile and be surface and shallowy, right? Um, just when they leave, you hear the, the back room talk of, oh, that's what so-and-so thinks. Why didn't they just tell me to my face? I don't, that cousin, you know, but we've all experienced this kind of things, right? Or to get even more nitty-gritty in that broken family situation, somebody steals from you, Right? that one brother or sibling or something and stuff is gone and they steal from you or something. You know, poisonous communication can break down. A family just can't talk to one another without yelling at one another or saying, you always do. It's those kinds of things, right, that, that uh, break down in those relationships, right, to where you just kind of uh, you dread going into it, right? And the common theme in broken families, and we're talking about the church here as an extension of that in a, in a moment, is usually people are out for themselves or they're thinking about themselves. They're thinking about their own opinions or, their, or how things benefit them or, or how things make them happy or how things make them mad or whatever it is, it's me, me, me. When a group of people come together thinking me, 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 there's going to be brokenness involved, right? Maybe thinking, were, were you at Thanksgiving dinner last year? Because, you know, it sounds like you were there. Um, let's transfer that kind of thinking to a church congregation, like we saw last week, and, um, uh, and if you are a Christian this morning, you have been brought into the family of Christ. And each of you are now part of his body. Now, church congregations can have the same problems as families, because we are family. People get angry at each other. 
but sometimes nobody actually voices their anger, right? Churches have been known to lie about things to preserve their own image, or people lie in church to preserve some sort of position of authority or to do spinning a story for whatever, you know, hidden agenda or whatever. People have stolen from the church, uh, even stolen from one another. Sometimes communication is awful and terrible and dysfunctional and leads to things like name-calling and accusing, accusing. But a lot of times these things don't actually manifest. They happen in the back rooms, right? And the conversations amongst ourselves, right? And Paul's kind of addressing these big-picture items. Okay, we read Ephesians. We talked about at the very beginning how when it says you in my southernness, it's not literally you, it's y'all. It is you, but it's also you all, right? It's, he's addressing the church congregation here, not so much individuals, but as, uh, as our individuals are a part of this congregation that is many here. This is important to understand, right, as we look at uh, uh, as we look at Jesus showing up, I want to miss this, right? When, when Jesus showed up, okay, he claimed, he said, the kingdom of God is here. It has come, right? Mark 1, 15, the very first words that he wrote down that Jesus said in the gospel of Mark, it begins like this. If you have a red letter Bible, it's the first red letters in the gospel of Mark. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent or turn, right, and believe in the gospel. Jesus is our king when he showed up, healing people and raising the dead and seeing those with greedy and wicked hearts suddenly turn and be renewed in spirit entirely and become worshipers of God. Jesus showed himself to be in the business of bringing heaven or a glimpse of heaven to earth and bringing broken human beings into this new kingdom by calling them to repent, by calling them to turn from their previous old ways and to see the light of the glory of the gospel revealed in his very face. And then when these new Jesus followers began meeting together to worship him, and the Spirit of Jesus came down on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 to fill these new Christians and empower them, we began seeing the work of a transformed community of people. The Holy Spirit's within these new Christians, transforming these Jesus followers uh, to live together, to restore their humanity. That's one way to, to, to say it, right? These image bearers of God that when God created humanity, he had a certain uh, uh, way, right? A certain vision for what humans should be. And we chose to not be that, but Jesus is trying to restore us back to the human beings that he created us to be, and that's what his transformative work is, right? And so if you think of that broken family image that we just talked about, imagine what restoration looks like in that broken family image. When those, that anger or the lying or the rage or the slander or the malice or the gossiping or the steal, whatever brokenness that can happen in the family unit, use your imagination. Imagine, yeah, how could, how could that be mended? Like, how can it actually be restored and people be reconciled to one another? According to Paul, as you're going to see, it's going to be through things like love, kindness, compassion, mercy, within the drawer, if you will, of forgiveness. Founded together on Jesus Christ, 
right? When people are aiming for those things, however imperfect and sloppy things can be, if those are the staples that we bring together, the foundations uh, that we bring together here, talk about our church family, we will see the transforming work of the Spirit here. We will see His continual transforming work happen each and every week and each and every time that we gather if we bring those things together to the table. Even though Christians have the Spirit of God, we know we are still sinners. The tension of sinful and selfish living, it always resides in us. We don't need anybody to tell us that. It won't be fully removed in our life. We know that. And this church in Ephesus needed reminders like we do, like that broken family, right, on the paths and ways of Jesus Christ because they needed to re-experience what it would be like to live together in a renewed, transformed community, however imperfect it may be, to receive that glimpse of the kingdom of God that is you know, a glimpse of heaven, if you will, in breaking into this world through you and I. So as we dive into that, I'm going to be very straightforward, right? It's easy we talk about these kind of do's and don'ts in Scripture. If you have any kind of, you know, religious, you know, upbringing where you weren't given the full picture of, of why we should or shouldn't do certain things, it's easy to preach uh, texts like this and get like the moral hammer or, you know, turn this into a hammer and be like, and you stop and you just start hitting people with the Bible, right? That's kind of how I grew up in the South, the Bible Belt has a lot of that. You know, you just, the, the, the way to get you to stop doing something stupid was to make you just feel horrible about yourself. And if you felt really horrible about yourself, you're like, okay, well, maybe because I don't want to feel that horrible again, so I'm just not going to do that again. And we all know that's not, that doesn't work, right? We'll just do it all over again, right? Um, when you catch the full vision of heaven and breaking on earth through you, and through this congregation, and through our righteous living, uh, we're giving a glimpse of heaven on earth. Well, well, the glimpse of the mercy and grace and love that Jesus has just poured out on us, that through our righteous living, we're giving the world a glimpse of the love that we've received in Christ. Well, that's a much better motivation to say, well, yeah, right? I, I know how much I've been forgiven in Christ. I know how much I don't deserve that he has given me. I want people to know that. I want the community to see that, right? That's a much better motivation for righteous living. That's what Paul is doing here. So let's dive into this as we um, work through this vision Paul sets out of a transformed community of Christians in Christ. So beginning in verse 17, that's again, that's page 1158 in your Bible, chapter 4. This is Paul. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. They are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, if you have a different translation, it may say something like being callous, being hardened, right, or losing sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. But you, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. In our earlier analogies, speaking of a broken family, Paul mentions that much of this begins in the mind. How you think, how you perceive other people, how you think about 
uh, other people. And the mind and heart, of course, as we know, is connected. When you persist in such broken habits like he talked about, uh, impurity or sensuality, he talks about more things coming up like anger and rage, he says that you lose sensitivity. A hard shell starts forming around your heart. It reminds me, my house was built in the 30s, and it's, you know, it's up there in age, and the fence we have is, I don't know, really old, apparently, because it's all rusted, the fence out we built, we have a new one, but the older fence that was there. Um, one part of it, a tree had been growing, and the tree actually grew over the fence, like the fence is inside of the tree, okay? So as you're looking at the fence, it's like, oh, tree, and there's this, that's like four inches inside of the tree. It's like, how does that happen? It, neglect, right? You, you let a tree grow and grow and grow, and it, and it takes over, and that fence is now inside of that tree. There's that hard wooden, you know, you can't just pull that fence out anymore. There's a hard shell of a tree around it, right? When we continue in our sin, in malice or anger or lust or sin, I mean, we just, we keep going back to it. We were talking about that this morning in our vision meeting your heart gets hard. It gets calloused. And you actually learn to live with a callousness. Because if, if you get stuck in the chains of those actions and behaviors that almost always is some kind of self-indulgent behavior, and you just put those chains on and you get used to convincing yourself why it's okay if you do that. You get used to kind of justifying to yourself, well, I can just continue in this, knowing that it can bring harm to those around you and bring brokenness to your relationships if the fullness of the truth were to be let out. But you just learn to live with it. You've learned to practice that in such a way that uh, you just have to numb your conscience, lose all sensitivity to it. And Paul is talking about that. He's saying that's not how this began in Christ, guys. Like, that's not how we began in Christ. Okay, as we're going to see, we began by lifting those off. And Jesus saying, I've set you free. Like, I've removed those chains. They're off of you. Then why are you continuing these things? Why are you continuing to lose your sensitivity? Why are you making that callous shell even thicker as you continue on? We're going to talk more about this as we continue on. In verse 21, he keeps going. He says, surely you have heard of him, and we're taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put off the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So we're in a seasonal change. You might love hoodie weather. Is that just me? I love hoodie. I'm the only person, really? I love fall. Fall's great. I love, there you go, some hands. All right, I'm not alone. I'm not, I'm, I know I'm weird, but at least I'm not that weird. I love fall. It's just a nice time where it's not too cold. You can get like the right, you can just get warm enough, right? And it's, it's wonderful. I love the colors. So seasonal changes, you, 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 you pack up one season of clothing and you put on the new season's clothing, okay? That's kind of the image that Paul is getting, one of putting on and putting off in terms of our before Jesus and after Jesus, right? In describing our, our life with him, our faith with him. All of those things here he labels as deceitful desires. Um, he'll elaborate on more. He says, look, he says, I know you're Christians. I know you guys know Jesus here. He says, since you became Christians, those things you've taken off, like they've been taken off of you, okay? 
And you've been made new in the attitude of your minds by putting on the new self, this new life of God, this new kingdom life, this heavenly life empowered by the Spirit, this life lived as God's image bearers in true righteousness and in holiness. There's a very important nuance here, putting on, putting off. It sounds like we have some responsibility. Like you take that off and you put this on. There's, that's true. Like we have some responsibility in this, but in his, you know, very careful writing here, Paul does something. He says that we're made new in verse 23. All right, my son Abel, he, I, th- I think he may have misplaced it now, but he has this little green buck uh, pocket knife, okay? The blade got chipped years ago, so we mailed it off. It was a lifetime warranty. He gets it back in the mail. Brand new blade, right? It's made new. Did Abel make that brand new blade? No, they made it new. There's a passive nature in this. This is very important to understand because later we're going to really talk about this this morning. There's a passive nature as much as an active one in our Christian life. There is one of, of action, of actually, you know, taking, putting on righteousness, but there's also a posture of willingness to say, Spirit, take me. Take me. Take all of me. I release all of myself. I need you to make me new. Yes, I will work and I will labor, but Lord, I need to be made new in you. Some of you in this room need to be made new in the Spirit this morning because you have been trying to just do this life and this Christian life in your own work, in your own labor, and that's good, and I applaud you, and that's great, but you need to perhaps stop leaning so much on your own work and ask the question, is my heart postured toward God in a humble manner to say, have me? Because sometimes in our labor and our work, we can figure out parts of our life and our hearts to like not give to him, right? And play this religious game of giving some of it to him, but not all of it to him. And the question is, are you willing to sit here this morning in a passive way and actually pray the prayer to say, take me, all of me, Jesus. You didn't die just for some of me. You died for all of me. And you sent your spirit not just to renew some of me, but to renew all of me. Are you willing, church, to be made new this morning? Let that question linger in your heart. Because if you as individuals are this morning, you know what will happen to this church? We will be made new. It will reflect on this congregation that if we all bring that posture to the Spirit, He's going to say, yes, I'm getting Him and I'm getting her. I'm getting all of them. And now my Spirit can be made manifest and the power that I want to give them to be my witnesses in this city with their new transformed lives. Guys, this is how the Spirit begins working amongst us. And yes, it begins with you in this room. He's going to keep moving on here. Paul launches into some specifics about what it looks like to live in this new self that God has been making and is making in you now. This is what it looks like for the church to live in transformed communities. as he gets started here. He sets it up by mentioning what we call vices or sin, right? And then guides them into the kingdom Jesus spirit-filled response to that. So if we turn from those old ways, what does the new ways look like? And he starts kind of rattling off a bunch of them. Again, we're, we're imagining a transformed community this morning. We're imagining a transformed community this morning as Paul moves forward. So verse 25, 
And he gets started. He says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. That's the old way. And speak truthfully. It's the new way. For we are all members of one body. And your anger do not sin. He's quoting Zechariah there in the Old Testament. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands. That he may have something to share with those in need. So a transformed community puts off falsehood, puts off sinful anger and theft and puts on truth and righteousness and short-lived anger and honest work. So as he quotes from, you know, Zechariah, they're mentioning falsehood, saying, speak the truth to your neighbor. We were reminded that the devil is one of, a, of lies. He is actually called the liar in Scripture. Every single time truth is missing, whenever truth is missing... Someone is trying to hide something. I'm reminded of this. I've used uh, numerous examples of my children, right? The little ones especially. When they come to me and somebody's bleeding or something, because I got five boys and there's lots of blood shed in my house because that's what boys do, right? They just bleed. Um, And I say, why are you bleeding this time? And he tells me the story. So I, you know, whoever they say, you know, I bring them into it. And then I hear like a whole different story. And I'm like... Well, these are two very different stories. How do we reconcile these? Like, who's hiding what here? It's like, somebody is not telling me the truth. And then we work through it, and eventually we do the best we can to extract it before they forget about why they're bleeding, and they're happy, and then just move on. Like, whatever, whatever just happened. That happens often. But whenever truth is missing, somebody's hiding something, right? Because sometimes truth can be ugly, Sometimes truth can be ugly because it involves maybe your own sin. It can expose your weakness, right? Some of you maybe in this room are living a lie this morning. That callousness is so thick that you have some stuff that you've just been lying about for years and gotten so used to it. It's just almost like a part of your life. It's just a part of the way you figured out how to live as to how can I continue to avoid truth-telling in this area? How can I continue to sidestep, you know, so people won't really see that? What's the new trick I can learn to do that? My call this morning, believe the fullness of the gospel. Understand, we're going to get to this at the end here, what forgiveness actually means. Understand that Jesus didn't die to shame you, but to glorify you, because he was shamed on your behalf. So when you confess your sin, right, and you say, I I am weak, and you go to a brother or sister here and say, I got to tell the truth of what is happening in my own life. We see Jesus on the cross, and we say, brother, your shame has been taken away. Walk in the light of righteousness and truth and be free from that game that you've been playing for so many years. Let those chains just be off your, your, your wrists. If, if you're hiding that, you're just afraid of, you know, being known about something. And guys, Jesus says he's taken that shame on your behalf. Don't be ashamed any longer. He can set you free from these things. Are you willing to confess? this morning. I'm going to give you guys an opportunity later, so I hope you're ready. If you're sitting there squirming like, is is he preaching to me this morning? 
there's going to be a chance for you to really respond this morning. So we're going to keep moving on here. For those who are angry in this room, the same thing can happen. You can just be sitting on anger for a very long time, right? Time is your enemy with anger because time gets turned inward. If you don't face that anger, uh, memories get, you know, of that situation get stuck in your mind and things that happen start getting exaggerated because your emotions get riled up more and that's when the roots of bitterness start growing deeper and deeper and back to that loss of sensitivity. It happens then and my question is, if you're angry in this room this morning, I'm going to call you at the end of our service to do something about it to that person or those people that you were angry for. If you've been walking in anger for a long time, today is a day to be free from that anger and be released from it and to call them and to find reconciliation. And we're going to talk about that as we move on. Don't let anger control you. Don't let anger take you over because it can and it will if you do not face it. We're going to move on. Paul says in more or less words, he says, nip that anger in the bud. Deal with it before the sun goes down. I have a problem with this, actually. I, I get overly obsessed with nipping anger in the bud, and I, I sometimes I exhaust my wife, Alex, because of it. When we have a little squabble, you know, and, and then I think it's actually reconciled. I have this fear of, like, what if, like, we didn't really talk about everything? And so I just bring it up again. And she's like, no, we're good. Then I like to bring it up again. And she's like, you're going to pick a new fight if you just don't let this go. Like, just leave me alone. I'm like, okay, okay. You know, I, I know I have a problem here, but this is what, it, it ha- if, if, if you leave those things und- undwelt and many sons go down on your anger, Paul says, the devil has a foothold in your life. And he loves to slap chains on you to, to hold you into his little domain to keep you there from fully actually walking in the light of the gospel. Hoarding anger is destructive. And wherever destruction is found, the devil is found. He is not one who builds. He is one who destroys. For those who are angry in this room, perhaps even angry to someone in this room, later on I, I encourage you to respond to that. And so we're going to go down to verse 29 here. The next point is a transformed community puts off unwholesome talk and seeks to build one another up. In verse 29, it says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. There is a way to always seek the building up of those that you speak with. Even if there is a corrective word, if the aim is, I want to build this person up through my corrective word, you won't be seeking to, you know, shame somebody or or, 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 or be harsh to them, but in truth and in love, you will share that word, right? Proverbs talks about this in uh, chapter 27, verse 6. He says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's a challenging verse, is it not, right? Do you have a habit in this room of talking down of people? How do you generally just talk to people? Do you stop to have that person's best interests in your mind when you speak with them? Or do you think about how you want to talk about yourself to that person when you engage in conversation? I'll just share this brief story. Uh, when I was in Phoenix, uh, this guy named Brian came up to me and he's, he's like, I'm Brian, I'm Danny. Just ask me questions about my life for like 30 minutes, right? And I just hear her, my story is like, great. Nice to meet you, Dan, and he walks away. I don't even know anything about him. He was just a nice guy. For 30 minutes, he wanted to know my story, then he left. 
we're in this church of like 5,000 plus people, okay? This building is, their campus is like five of ours, 10 of ours. It's huge, like a college campus. This church is massive. And they introduce the founding pastor and senior pastor of that church on stage, and it was Brian. And I was like, oh, interesting. This guy did not bother to tell me. He didn't feel the need to come to me and say, hey, you know, like I founded this mega church. Pretty awesome, huh? Like, I know how to do this. You know, let me tell you all my, you know. Like, he didn't have that kind of posture. He was just actually interested in me. Isn't that so, uh, aren't we drawn to that? When you have a conversation with somebody who just wants to know about you, you don't feel like you're just hearing somebody talk about themselves constantly, right? Because the way of Christ in Philippians 2, it says a whole community, a transformed community is to consider the other person as more important than themselves because that is the very news of the gospel that Jesus left his abode, took on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, right? And didn't bother to defend himself, but rather was willing to sacrifice himself. His whole posture in life was not about him, it was for us, right? And Paul says, when you talk to people, just build each other up. Leave somebody better, you know, when you're done with the conversation, is that person better off for having spent time with you? Are they encouraged and built up? just as Christ is trying to build you up, right? These are questions that Paul is presenting for us this morning. That is how a kingdom-minded, transformed community in Christ speaks to one another. They seek the interests of the other, and they learn to forget about themselves in the process. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn or a lesson or revelation or a tongue or an interpretation. He says, let all things be done for building up. And as we go on the back end of our time here, it says, A transformed community walks in the Spirit and is kind, compassionate, and forgiving to one another. Let's just hear his words. He says this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling. I kind of laugh at that. It's like people in the church had a problem with just punching each other. It's like, okay, I guess people struggle with brawling, so... Can't laugh at that. So stop punching one another, guys, if you struggle with brawling. Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Read that verse 32 slowly here. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Relational conflict, especially between his people, it grieves God. Church conflict especially, I believe, grieves God. But in our own lives, relational conflict grieves God. I do believe that the gospel is big enough to bring healing to that. I believe the gospel can bring reconciliation do that. I want you to continue to dream with me here about a, a transformed church community that will experience relational conflict. It's not about somehow here, like some kind of future where we just won't, you know, have that happen. Like, yeah, it will. I'm going to do something really stupid one day. You're going to say, seriously, you did that? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, sorry. You're going to have to figure out how to like talk that one through because I guarantee you I'm going to do that, Okay. 
Because I'm just like you. We're broken, regular people, and we make mistakes. This church, we're imperfect people trying to figure this out together. We're going to offend one another. We're going to have some brokenness happen here. It's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. Okay, so it's not about some kind of utopian future, that not happening. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's saying the foundations is the, uh, looking to Jesus and seeing his love and his forgiveness because forgiveness knows no bounds. It starts with your relationship with Jesus, your understanding of the gospel that says, uh, the question is, do you know how much he has forgive, forgiven you? <clears throat> Excuse me. Do you know just how much Christ has forgiven you? Because if you truly understood that, like if you knew just how wretched of a sinner you really are, if you were honest with yourself and you know that he died for you and has forgiven you and cleansed you those things, when somebody sins against you, you will find, even, uh, I get it that sometimes sin against you, it can come in huge life scarring events. Like I, I know in the big ways that can happen, but there's also small ways that just are more annoying and everywhere in between. I still, maybe it's radical, I don't know. But I look to the cross and I say, if, if, if Jesus really said something like, come, everybody can come to me and cast their burden and I will bring them rest, right? If Jesus said things like, I will forgive you once and not twice, but 77 times 7 times 77 times, you know, that's the idea. It's like, there is no bounds to this grace. Like, it's, it's never ending. Like, I will always, always, always forgive you. If that's true, like live in that, guys, right? Like, like actually align yourself to, to walk in light of that truth and embrace it. I get it. It's hard, and I get it that it's messy. But guys, it is kind of a radical way of life, especially in 2021, right? It really is. But guys, I think we can be a glimpse in the world that is just we don't know how to forgive each other or walk in unity with our differences, right? But the gospel provides the path. So friends, as a church, can we, can we walk in light of this? I want to do something a little different this morning. Um, I'm going to call up the worship team. They have some music. It's going to start. Usually at this time, we... We say, if you need prayer, to come forward, okay? Um, I'm going to change it up a little bit, all right? We talked about a lot of things this morning. And chances are, almost assuredly, somebody in this room was just, the Holy Spirit hit you hard, right? Where well, something mentioned, you're just like, oh, that was right where I'm at. There's chains on my hands, whatever form or fashion they may, they may be there whether through anger, bitterness, lustful desires, a lie that you've been living, whatever it may be that you've just kind of taken on those chains. In Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set you free. He says, Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What I want to do this morning it's not to say if you need prayer, come forward, but if you recognize that is in your own life, I am asking you to come forward to deal with it, to look at it, to listen to the Spirit and say, I want to respond this morning instead of just walking out saying, ah, oh, maybe I should have gone off for prayer, I don't know. 
I'm asking you to come forward. I would love to see this, this, this front of the stage just be an, an altar of prayer this morning for anyone who, who needs to deal with that in their own hearts. I want to have the elders that are here present up for prayer, but um, as we do so, as we play this last song, if, um, if, if, if you feel that stirring, you come forward and, and you're out there and you see people standing up here, I, I ask that you would come pray for them. Put the hand on the shoulder and, and pray that they would be released from whatever burden that they were carrying this morning. So at any time, right now or during the song, please come forward. Do not walk out of this room if the Spirit is tugging on you this morning. And if nobody comes, that's totally fine, and maybe you're not ready to actually walk forward yet and be public, right? Because, yeah, we'll see you walk forward, okay? We know. There, there's, there's, there's power in a public kind of confronting this, right? There, there's power in it because we see the gospel at work in your life. But if that is you this morning and you're not quite ready, that's okay. But we ask that you, you take, <laughs> sit in your pew and just, and just consider, like, when are you going to face it? How long will you run? How long will that callousness just build the next layer before you bend your knee and give it to him? So the time is now, if that's you, come, come.